I don't remember my exact age, but I was no more than 11 years old when my parents came in and shared the news that they had just met the new neighbors who had moved into the house at the end of the street. And normally, this would not have been noteworthy news, but what they shared next made my elementary-age sports-loving heart skip a beat. Our new neighbor played in the NFL for the Atlanta Falcons, but he had made the decision to move back to the Bay Area for the offseason. Now, I have to admit, I was a little bit disappointed when I came to realize that he played center for the Atlanta Falcons, not quarterback. But still, it was no small thing to have a real-life professional athlete living on my street. It took a few days for my buddies and I to work up the nerve, but eventually we went down, we knocked on his door, and we asked for an autograph. And he was really nice, and he signed for all of us kids. But when I walked away, I had a few doubts about this whole NFL story being true. First, this guy was big. He was real big. But standing there in his shorts and t-shirt, he looked more like a guy that you would see playing on a beer league softball team than a finely tuned professional athlete. Keep in mind, he was a lineman. Not only that, but he was living in my neighborhood. Now, don't get me wrong, our neighborhood was nice, but it wasn't celebrity athlete nice. It was more middle manager, ugly station wagon, nice, if you know what I mean. And so at that young age, I realized that sometimes it's hard to believe people are who they claim to be. Now, this was especially true for a group of people who were living in a small Judean Galilean community some 2,000 years ago. A new neighbor moved in. We read these words in the message in John chapter 1 and verse 14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This new neighbor that was in their midst would impact the world in a far greater way than anyone before him and anyone after him, but they had a hard time seeing him for who he was. Now, yes, everyone was pretty quick to recognize that he was smart, and he was well-spoken, and he was charismatic, and he did some pretty amazing things. But who he claimed to be was just a little bit too far-fetched, if not offensive, to most people. Now, one of the few people who did believe that he was who he claimed to be was a commercial fisherman by the name of John. And over the course of three years, John and his neighbor developed an incredibly close relationship. They spent countless hours in conversation. They sat around tables enjoying meals. They went to, to parties together. They traveled together. They worshiped at the synagogue together. And John, he became absolutely convinced that who his neighbor was who he claimed to be, so much so that he wrote a short account of this man's life with this one great hope in mind that other people, too, would come to believe that he was who he claimed to be. That John writes in John chapter 20 and verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Why was it so important to John that others share his belief in this man? Well, from his own personal experience, John had come to realize that 
Jesus was the one person who could offer the one thing that all of humanity, man, woman, and child, was desperate to find. You say, what exactly is that? Well, it's, it's life, like real life. Not just taking up space, not just getting by, just not making it through this world, but to actually enjoy an existence that's full, full of joy, full of peace, full of purpose, full of wonder. A life that's actually worth getting up for in the morning. And not only that, but this Jesus is the one person who actually can fill the void in your life that accomplishment and notoriety, money, romance, entertainment cannot fill. And this Jesus not only offers us life, a better life, full life right now, but an even better life after we breathe our last. And this is what so many people, including maybe some who are here this morning, are still chasing after, isn't it? It's the thing that people have been chasing after since life in Eden was lost. And so John has this huge desire that every single person will come to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be because he understands, he recognizes that it is in a relationship with Jesus Christ that full eternal life can be found. You say he, see, he goes on to say this in verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And just as it was John's desire for his neighbors or the people of his age to come to believe, to experience full and eternal life in Jesus Christ, it should be our desire for our neighbors as well. Now, I realize we live in a culture that may be quick to tell us that we need to keep our religious views to ourselves, but I promise you there are people around you who would really love to know the secret behind the full life that you're living. They see that your life is full of joy and peace and, and kindness, but they're not quite sure where it's coming from. And they'd like to know the secret behind it. And it's time that we let them in on that secret. And so as we launch this brand new sermon series entitled Believe, I, I want to encourage us to invite our neighbors. That means maybe the person next door. It may be a person that you work with or go to school with. It may be a family member. But I want you to invite them to join us on this journey through the Gospel of John. Now, there are a lot of different places that you can invite them to. You can invite them to join us right here at this time on Sunday mornings to a worship service as we walk through the Gospel of John. Now, I realize that some of you are thinking, well, my neighbors are much more likely to accept an invitation to a colonoscopy than a church service. <laughs> and maybe. But studies show there are also people who would show up at a church service if somebody, just anybody, would actually invite them. In fact, we've encountered that in our Welcome Center. We had an interaction where a person was invited who simply said, you mean I, I, I'm, I can come? I'm so glad somebody invited me. I've been waiting on an invitation. They thought they had to have an invitation to actually come. And so you may be surrounded by people who are waiting for that invitation, but they think I have to have an invitation to actually show up here. So invite them. 
Now, that might not be the right environment, so maybe you want to invite them to your home group. So many of our home groups go through the sermon that we're talking about on Sunday mornings. That might be a more comfortable environment for your friends or neighbors to come into, just somebody's home in which you sit down and maybe you share a meal or you at least share just some good conversation, and then you talk a little bit about what we talk about on Sunday morning. Maybe that's the environment. Or maybe you just invite a friend to join you for coffee, and you share one or two things that we talk about on Sunday morning as we walk through the Gospel of John. Let you in on a little secret. One of the reasons that I make that fill in the blank outline, sermon outline that you have before you or you can find on your app, it is one, to keep you awake. Okay, be honest about that. It is to keep you awake. But two, it is in hopes that you will take it and you will share it with somebody else. Remember, we are a church that are striving to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples of all nations. That means that I take what I am gaining here, and then I take it out there into this world, and I share it with somebody else in hopes that, and challenging them to then take it and share it with somebody else so that we begin to live out the ways of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to think about doing that. Take some kind of risk as we go through this uh, sermon series together. And I want to just kind of remind you of a point that I made many, many months ago. I know sometimes we're afraid to offer an invitation that people will be offended or think we're weird, but I I just want to reframe it for you. Think about it like you would inviting somebody to a movie. They may say yes, they may say no, but if you don't get weird about it, they probably won't get weird about it either. Everything would be just fine. And I'm telling you this from personal experience. I invited people to join us for Easter service, and several of those people, they didn't show up. But you know what? I showed up and played pickleball with them on Friday and Saturday, and nothing had changed. We had the same conversations we've always had. So you can do this. It's not going to change that relationship. So John writes this gospel in hopes that people will come to believe, but he also writes this gospel to encourage those who do believe to keep believing. In fact, a strong argument can be made that John chapter 20 and verse 31, but these are written that you may believe, should be translated, that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, based on the tense in the original language. Now, that makes a lot of sense if the late dating for John's gospel is accurate between AD 90 and 95. You see, at this particular point in history, there are several different heresies that have arisen to undermine the identity of Jesus Christ. Folks, we're living in a very similar situation. It's not hard to find religious insightful religious scholars, even charismatic religious teachers today who in a very oftentimes subtle way want to suggest that Jesus was a significant historical figure, but he should not be regarded as being any more important than any other significant spiritual leader. Now, John, however, who knew Jesus better than most everyone else, he's having none of that. John writes this letter, this history of Jesus' life, to highlight the unique nature and greatness of Jesus Christ. 
I'm reminded of a conversation in C.S. Lewis's book, The Chronicles of Narnia, in which Lucy looks into the face of the large, wise face of Aslan, and this conversation unfolds. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger, and that's because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, I'm not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. As we enter into this new series, my hope is that we as followers of Jesus, our vision of the greatness of Jesus Christ will enlarge that will grow in our understanding of how great He is. In fact, I want to encourage you as you walk through the Gospel of John, we're going to to hit some familiar stories, we're going to hit uh, Scriptures that you know so well, but I'm hoping that the Spirit will work in our lives in such a way that you'll find yourself in moments in which you're just absolutely in awe, and you're just caught up in a moment of worship, and I want to encourage you just worship. Don't worry about catching everything I say up here. That doesn't matter. If you get to a point where you're just you're caught up in the greatness of Jesus, you just worship, and you can go back and watch the rest of the sermon, or you can forget the rest of the sermon. I just want you to be connected to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and worship Him with all of your being. So let's just dive in. From page one, John begins to paint a picture of the unique nature of Jesus. And he opens his gospel by referring to Jesus as the Word, the Logos, the Logos. This is a great way to hook his audience because that word has significance in both Jewish and Greek culture. For those of Jewish descent, Logos, it was an immediate reminder of that absolute power of God's spoken word. The Greeks, on the other hand, used that term to refer to the rational mind that controlled the universe. The Logos was considered the spirit of the universe. Think of the force in Star Wars. That's kind of the way they regarded that. And so, right from the beginning, he says, Jesus' word, Logos, and he wants us to understand some things about the unique nature of Jesus. And one of the things he wants us to understand is that Jesus has always been. John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word. As the other gospel writers will attest, Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem. But John highlights, listen, he's been around for a lot longer than that. How long, John? Well, go all the way back to creation. You're going to find him there. He's been around that long. And then he says, second thing about the unique nature of Jesus is he's always been with God. John 1.1, and the Word was with God. Say, that's cool. Jesus and God hang out together. Yes, but it's about much more than hanging out. He uses that term to highlight the equality and the intimacy that Jesus shares with God. In fact, the term that he uses can be regarded as Jesus is face to face with God. John's point being again that he shares equality and he shares intimacy with God. These aren't two beings who occasionally get together, nor is Jesus some kind of junior partner in God's enterprise of running the world. There is an absolute oneness between the two, 
because they are one. In fact, this is the next part of the nature of Jesus that John highlights for us, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. John chapter 1, verse 1, and the Word was God. Jesus is not some other but equal God. Yes, He's separate from God the Father in His personhood, but He's one in the same essence as God. And I think that's so important for us to really grasp and hold on to, and that's one of the things that's distinct, right? It's what makes us distinct, is that our understanding of who Jesus is, that oneness with God, He is God. I have a lot of conversations with people in which they highlight that Jesus was a wonderful person, taught some great things. I had a conversation with a guy on Friday, he said, I love the way that Jesus lived His life, but there is such a distinction because he just saw Him as a separate person. He doesn't understand. He is God. So we want to hold on to that. That's important. And then finally, John highlights for us that He is the Creator. He says this in John chapter 1 and verse 3, through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In other words, what did Jesus create? All of it, from the vastness of the galaxies to the intricacies of the human body. He is responsible for it all. He is the Creator. This is who Jesus is. But as previously mentioned, it's not who many people or most people believed Him to be. Jesus of Nazareth was their neighbor, just their neighbor. He was the son of an ordinary carpenter who happened to grab 15 minutes of fame by being a religious leader, but in the end, he was executed on a cross like a hardened criminal. Nothing more, nothing less. But those folks could not have been more wrong. And and John emphasizes this by saying this in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The the word in the original language for dwelling, it can also be translated as, as many of you know, pitched His tents or tabernacled. God tabernacled among us. John goes back to the Old Testament imagery of the tabernacle where the Spirit of God fully dwelt to just make this point unequivocally that God was fully present in Jesus Christ, fully present. It was God who grew up in the house at the end of the street. It was God who cracked jokes at the barbecue at the neighbor's house in their backyard. It was God who played freeze tag with kids on hot summer nights. It was God who helped his neighbors take down their Passover decorations. It was God who helped his neighbors chase down their runaway dog. It was God who moved into the neighborhood. But why? Why would he do that? Well, John said there are several reasons. One is this, is because God wants us to know him. He wants us to know Him. John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closer relationship or in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Typically, the more powerful and famous a person is, the less likely that people like you and I can get to know them, right? And if you don't believe me, give Steph Curry a call this afternoon and ask if he and his wife would like to get together for lunch this week. Now, even if you're fortunate enough to actually find his contact information, 
you're going to get cut off from that conversation pretty quick by one of his handlers, right? There's no way you're going to get close to that power couple. You see, powerful, famous people have things in place. They have things like security guards, and they live in gated communities, and their phone numbers are unlisted to keep riffraff like us away from them, right? But this God, this creator, however, he's different. It's different. Instead of keeping us away, he decided to come near because he wants us to know him. He wants us to share relationship with him. He wants to be known. Now, by nature, God is so different than us, so greater than us, that he'll always remain a bit of a mystery. But when Jesus moved in the neighborhood, he became a little bit less of a mystery. You see, Jesus and the things that he said and he did, he revealed God's nature, God's character. He shows us what brings God joy and what frustrates God. He shows us what God's will is for the world and for our lives. He shows us the depth that God is willing to go to bless our lives. Everything that we believe about God should be filtered through the life of Jesus. In fact, if there are things that you believe about God that do not match with what Jesus did and what Jesus taught, then you have the wrong picture of God because Jesus is God. And so he came because he wants to be known, but also know this, he came to bring life and light. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Just as the Word spoke light into the darkness of creation, Jesus comes into the world to begin the process of bringing about a brand new creation. And so when Jesus arrives, it brings this great hope that things are not going to remain the same that light will prevail over darkness, that good will triumph over evil, that things are going to be different because of his arrival. Now, unfortunately, the vast majority of people, they chose to remain in the dark rather than follow Jesus into the light. In fact, John goes on and says in verse 20, 10 and 11, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They saw him, they got to be around him, but they still didn't have the eyes to see him. They rejected him. I want you to hold on to that because that's going to be a theme throughout John is that people reject Jesus. And if you're a person who has felt like you've been rejected in life, like you're not accepted in life, like nobody wants you in their life, guess what? You have a Savior that relates to you. He knows how you feel because he's been there. Most people rejected him. They didn't understand who he was. My plea is that let's not make that mistake. Let's see Jesus for who he is. And let's make the decision today that we're going to follow his way of life because it is the best way of life because he is God. Who knows better than God? Do you know better than God? Do I know better than God? See, don't be silly. Nobody knows better than God, right? And so we're going to follow his 
ways. You see, He's the light and the life, and outside of Him is darkness. This darkness is defined by despair, it's defined by disappointment, it is defined by emptiness. But Jesus doesn't want us to live that way, and so He came. He came to bring light and life. But He also came to bring to us what we need most. You say, what is that? Well, that is grace. John chapter 1, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses brought the law. How well did people do at living by the law? Not very well. Oh, sure, some did better than others at keeping the law externally, but every one of them failed miserably when it came to living by the spirit of the law. For instance, Joe, he might not have ever killed anybody, so he kept that law, do not murder. But guess what? Old Joe occasionally would curse under his breath about his annoying coworker, And it's the same problem we have, right? No matter how hard we try, we don't nail it 100% of the time. At least I, I don't. But the good news is our neighbor, Jesus, came with grace and truth. A truth about God's will, truth about our inadequacies, and grace overflowing. And this truly is the amazing thing about grace. It is this, it never runs out. You can't put a cap on it. He graces us over and over and over again. I love this scripture, John chapter 1, verse 16. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. In Jesus, we find and receive grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing, because Jesus is the God of grace. And it is out of His grace that He offers a unique and amazing invitation. And this is His invitation, that you can be a child of God. You see, Jesus didn't move into the neighborhood just to be a good neighbor. That wasn't His point. Jesus moved in the neighborhood so that we might become a part of His family. That's what He wants more than anything else, is for us to join His family. And what John is going to teach us is that, hey, guess what? If you believe He is who He claimed to be, you will be welcomed into His family. He goes on to write these words in verse 12 through 13, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. If you're here this morning and you're ready to say, you know what, I, I do believe. I believe that Jesus wasn't just a good person or a great teacher, but I believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, and you're ready to unite your life with His in baptism, then please let us know this morning. We would love nothing more than to assist you in that life-changing decision today. And for those of us who are believers and have been believers for a while, I want to go back to my earlier challenge. I, I just hope that through the course of this series, maybe beginning today, that your vision of who Jesus is will enlarge and expand, and your heart this morning will be full of worship. 
that you'll walk out of this place with praise on your lips to the greatness of this Jesus who created the universe, who brought life and light into the universe and continues to grace you over and over and over again so that you might have joy and you might have peace and you might have purpose and wonder and full and eternal life. And then I want to challenge you one more time. I want to challenge you to think about who needs to meet your neighbor, Jesus, because there are a lot of people who do. In fact, I'd like for us to just pause right now and pray for those people. So think about those people, pray for them by name, and then we'll wrap up in just a moment. God, you've blessed us in such a wonderful way. It's hard for us to get our mind around the fact that you are this, this God that we can't fully get our, our minds around, but that you love us so much that you would enter into our space and that you would experience what we experience, that you would live just like us and face all the challenges that we face so that you could identify with us. And, and ultimately, that you would, you would teach and you'd heal and you'd bring life, but then you would give up your very own life so that we could have a relationship with you. And that you would continue to offer this invitation to be a part of your family, despite the fact that over and over, generation after generation, so many people say, no, thank you, not interested, don't need it, and turn away from you. But thanks for hanging with us, God. Thanks for hanging with us, even us who have said, yes, we believe, but who still struggle day to day to do it right and to live like Jesus. Thank you, God, for just walking with us and never leaving us and being so fully present in our lives. Father, it is our heart's desire that other people will come to know Jesus because we want each and every person to experience the full life that is in Christ. So, Father, this morning, I pray that there are just names being lifted up to you right now in this place, people that we'd love to see come to know Jesus. Please work on their hearts. Please do something in their life this week that would make them stop and think about the purpose of life and the meaning behind life and who you are and what your will is for their life. Father, we pray that you'll put us in spaces in which we can be representatives of you. And sometimes that won't involve words at all. So help us to just live really well like Jesus so that they might get a glimpse of Jesus. But in those moments when words are required, would your spirit please give us a spirit of boldness? And may we be able to speak Jesus into places that he might be received. Father, we pray over the course of the next several weeks that we'll see some new people begin to show up in this place. That we'll do everything that we can to love them well. And we pray that over the next few weeks, we'll see more people added to your family and that we might serve this world well together. We want this all for your glory and your praise and nothing else. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 